0: But I invite you to open your Bibles to the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be reading uh, from the section of verses uh, 13 to 25. And today we're gonna to be looking at Jesus' uh, trial before a Pilate, and the trial in the passage that we are about to read takes place during Good Friday, the day that Jesus got crucified. And although this day is called the Good Friday, This day can be considered as the darkest day of Jesus' life. Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he, the innocent, the spotless, the blameless, the sinless Lamb of God would become sin for us. Jesus, the innocent, the spotless, the blameless, the sinless Son of God would be sentenced to a shameful death on the cross. Jesus, the innocent, the spotless, the blameless, the sinless Son of God, would be the recipient of the wrath of a holy and righteous God against sin. But Good Friday is a day also where we see the love that Jesus Christ has for us and what he would be willing to subject himself for our benefit, dying a shameful death on the cross to accomplish our redemption. Mark Johnston says the cry of victory, it is finished, that we hear from Jesus' lips is not heard as he emerges from the tomb to the brightness of a new day, but from the darkness of the cross in the moments before he died. Jesus knew that this dark hour had come. Jesus knew that he would be delivered over into the hands of the Gentiles and the chief priests and the rulers and Pilate to be crucified. We're going to be looking to this trial today. So here now, the reading of God's holy word, Luke chapter 23, beginning verses 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look. Nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? Why? This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love for our good. Let let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather together as the body of Christ, as your covenant people, the sheep of your pasture, we give you thanks for revealing yourself not only in creation, but revealing yourself in the words of the scripture of the Old and the New Testament and also supremely in the person of Jesus Christ. So now as we turn to the reading and the preaching of your word, we pray for the Holy Spirit to illumine our hearts, to give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and a heart to believe and that are receptive to your word. Help us to see all your glory, all your faithfulness, and all your grace that we have in Christ and that we respond with love and praise, not only because of who Christ is, but because of what he has done for us. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be looking at this passage uh, with three headings. First, we're going to see the declaration of Jesus' innocence. Then we're going to see the necessity of Jesus' innocence. And lastly, we're going to see the response to Jesus' innocence. Innocence. The first point is going to be a little bit longer than the second and third point, just to give you the heads up. So first we're going to see the declaration of Jesus' innocence. Pilate himself declares Jesus to be innocent. Look with me on verses 13 and 14, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. So here, Pilate is referring to this first trial with Jesus that we read in the first five verses of Luke 23. And in this first encounter with Pilate, the representatives of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish High Court, the equivalent of our Supreme Court of the United States, they bring three charges against Jesus. We read in verse 2, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man, charge number one, misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, charge number two and charge number three, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. One, we found this man misleading our nation. Well, this is a lie. Jesus is no insurrectionist. He's not a, a terrorist like Barabbas, as we will see. Charge number two, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. This is a straight-up lie. Remember what Jesus said? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. You know what that means, right? In other words, make sure you pay your taxes this coming Monday. (laughs) Charge number three, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, this charge for sure is going to get Pilate's attention. Because Pilate asked him, verse 3, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Now the gospel of Luke does not give the details of this interaction with Jesus. But the gospel of John does. And in the gospel of John, as we read it, Jesus tells Pilate that his kingdom is not of this world. He's not trying to establish a political kingdom. He's not trying to be a king like Caesar he is another type of king. He is a king in the order of Melchizedek, who has no beginning, who has no end. Jesus Christ is an eternal king. And his kingdom is not of this world. So after interrogating Jesus for the first time, Pilate is not buying these charges. So he knows that the Jewish religious leaders had handed over Jesus because they were jealous. And we read the first declaration of Jesus's innocence by Pilate, verse four. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. So after hearing this first declaration of innocence, the Jewish religious leaders, they keep pressing on. They're determined to put Jesus to death. In verse five he says, but they were urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. Now that's also gonna get Pilate's attention. Because now he finds out that Jesus is under the jurisdiction of Herod. And the thing is that Jesus, uh, Pilate is seeing the opportunity, and he's trying to pass the book to Herod. He doesn't want to have Jesus crucified, because he's afraid. His wife had warned him in a dream, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered a great deal in a dream because of him. But now we see also that Herod declares Jesus innocent. Look at me on verse 15. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Now in Luke 23, verses 6 to 12, we see Jesus before Herod. And Herod is a wicked king. It's this Herod who beheaded Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. It's this same Herod who killed James, the brother of the Lord Jesus. He's wicked. But Herod is pleased to see Jesus because he had heard about him, and he's hoping to see some type of sign or miracle. Herod wants his own private show. So he, questioned, actually, the scripture says, Jesus at some length. But the scripture says that Jesus remained silent. He didn't open his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7 says, Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus is silent, and he remains silent. One commentator notes that Jesus remains silent as a sign that he is completely in control of the situation in his willing submission to the Father's plan. The crucifixion, it's the father's plan, as we will see, and his disdain for Herod and the charges against him. So Herod with his soldiers treat Jesus with contempt, and they mock him, and Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate. So here we are back at Pilate, and Pilate wants nothing to do with it, and Pilate continues in verse 15. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Here in verse 15, we see the second declaration of Jesus' innocence by Pilate. And in verse 22, Pilate makes a third declaration of Jesus' innocence. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. So apart from these three declarations of innocence from Pilate, and the one from Herod, we read today further declarations of innocence from other people in the same 23rd chapter of Luke and in the other Gospels. Look at all these people declaring the innocence of Jesus. Pilate three times, Pilate's wife declares him innocent, Herod declares Jesus to be innocent, the thief on the cross declares Jesus to be innocent, the Roman centurion declares Jesus to be innocent, even Judas Iscariot. The one who betrayed him said, I have betrayed what? Innocent blood. So the gospel writers, and especially Luke, they lead the reader to conclude that the righteous son of God is innocent of all charges. And Luke masterfully presents Jesus as this righteous man, as this innocent man, as this sinless man, the son of God. So now, why are all the gospel writers, why is Dr. Luke giving great attention and detail to Jesus' innocence? That is a great question, and I'm glad you asked. Because now that we have seen the declaration of Jesus' innocence, we're going to see the necessity of Jesus' innocence. What is the absolute necessity of Christ's Innocence, redemption, our redemption, your salvation cannot be accomplished without the innocence of Jesus, without Jesus being the lamb, without blemish, and without spot, without Jesus being the perfect sacrifice. The sinlessness of Jesus is absolutely crucial to accomplish our redemption. Listen to these words of J.C. Ryle. There was a peculiar fitness in this public declaration of Christ's innocence. Our Lord, we must remember, was about to be offered up as a sacrifice for our sins, for my sins, for your sins, for our sins. It was mean and right that those who examined him should formally pronounce him a guiltless and blameless person. It was mean and right that the Lamb of God should be found by those who slew him, a lamb without blemish and without spot. The overruling hand of God so ordered the events of his trial that even when his enemies were judges, they could find no fault and prove nothing against him. The innocence of Christ, not only is he not guilty of the charges being leveled against him, Christ never sinned. He never sinned. He is the lamb without blemish and without spot, the perfect sacrifice. He is the righteous man. He obeyed God's laws perfectly. He did what the first Adam didn't do in the garden. R.C.'s process repeatedly, the scriptures teaches us of Jesus' sinlessness, which was absolutely crucial for him to qualify as the lamb of God without blemish. Absolutely crucial to accomplish our redemption. John Calvin said, The Son of God utterly clean of all fault, nevertheless, took upon himself the shame and reproach of our iniquities, and in return, clothed us with his purity. And he calls that the wondrous exchange, our sins for Christ's righteousness. Without that innocence, You and I cannot be saved. Without the innocence and sinlessness, Jesus could not have accomplished our redemption. He did what we cannot do, which is to obey the law of God. That's why we must be in Christ. If you're not in Christ, we must be in Christ. That's why we must put our faith in Christ. We need His perfect righteousness. Not our righteousness, not our self-righteousness, but Christ's perfect righteousness. And because Jesus is sinless and without blemish, He didn't deserve to die on the cross. Pilate knows this, and he's trying to release Jesus. Look at verses 16 and 22, I will therefore punish and release him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. Pilate is trying half measures to release Jesus. He's trying to appease the religious leaders by giving him some type of flogging, some type of punishment, but that is not enough. They want to put Jesus to death. Now, before moving to verse 18, you may have noticed that verse 17 might not be in some of your Bibles. Don't worry about it. Verse 17 does not appear in the oldest Greek manuscript of Luke. But it appears in Matthew twenty-seven fifteen. It appears in Mark fifteen six, and it appears in eighteen thirty-nine. And this verse was probably added by a scribe to explain the practice of releasing a prisoner during the Passover. By not writing verse seventeen, Luke assumed that the readers knew about this tradition. And this practice is told in the other three Gospels. What does that mean? That you can trust your Bible? That this is the word of the God? That, that this is the word of God? And that it is absolutely. true. True, and is giving us in love for our good. So now that we have seen Jesus' innocence, Pilate has declared him innocent, and we have seen the necessity of his innocence. Now Pilate is trying to find an alternative to release Jesus. Entering into the scene, the infamous Barabbas, as we will see. And we're going to see now the response to Jesus' innocence. So, how did the religious leaders, how did the chief Priests and the crowd respond to Jesus' innocence. Look at me on verse 18. But they all cried out together, Away with this man! Away with Jesus and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection starting in the city and for murder. Barabbas, a known criminal, one who was actually misleading the nation, one who was a convicted murderer. I'm giving you an option. You have Jesus and you have Barabbas, who are you going to choose? Who are you going to choose today, Jesus or Barabbas? The release of Jesus or the release of Barabbas? Pilate for sure thought that people might want to have Jesus released instead of Barabbas. I mean, this is a clear cut choice, but to Pilate's dismay. The Jewish religious leaders, they keep pressing on, and they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Away with this man. And release to us Barabbas. I mean, look at the irony here. Away with this man. They don't even mention Jesus by name. And release to us Barabbas. Barabbas, son of the father. So here we have the son of the father, Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of the father, standing in front of them, and they asked for the release of Barabbas, son of the father. And Pilate goes on in verse 20 and 21, but Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. Once again, Pilate is trying to appease the crowd by having Jesus flogged, but that doesn't work, but because the crowd and the Jewish leaders, they are relentless in their evil pursuit to have Jesus crucified. Verse 23, they say, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. Pilate can't take it anymore. He gives up, and he gives in to their demand because of fear. There was a riot forming, and he was afraid that word might get to Caesar, and that his fame, his reputation might put into prison and even die. Out of fear, Pilate hands over Jesus to be crucified. Verse 24 and 25, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked but he delivered Jesus over to their will. The guilty being set free, the criminal being set free, the insurrectionist being set free, the murderer being set free, but he delivered Jesus. The innocent being condemned, the blameless being condemned, the sinless Lamb of God being condemned. The guilty is set free, and the innocent is condemned 2 Corinthians 5 21 says, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. What Calvin called the wondrous of exchange, our sins for Christ's righteousness. And lastly, did you notice the last uh, few words of verse 25 we read? but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Over to their will. The will of the people. You might read this verse and you think that the crucifixion of Jesus was the plan of man. That the crucifixion occurred because there was this will, right, between the the religious leaders or because of the will of Pilate. And we see them battling with each other to try to determine which will is going to be done. Which will will prevail, the will of Pilate or the will of the religious leaders? Do you know which will prevailed in the crucifixion? God's will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, May this cup pass from me, but not as I will, but as you will. Isaiah 53:10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of God to crush his innocent, blameless, spotless son of God. It was the will of the Lord to crucify Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus is God's idea. It was not the idea of the Romans. It was not the idea of Pilate. It was not the idea of the chief priests and the rulers and the people. The crucifixion of Jesus was God's idea done according to the definite plan and for knowledge of God. Acts 4, 27, we read, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. John Stott comments, On the human level, Judas gave him up to the priests, who gave him up to Pilate, who gave him up to the soldiers, who crucified Him. But on the divine level, the Father gave Him up, and He gave Himself up to die for us. The Father gave Him up. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only begotten Son, the sinless Son of God, to die for our sins. Augustine Marlora, a commentator, reform, said Christ did not go to his death constrained by external forces, but by his own free will that he might fulfill the Father's commandment. Didn't go to his death constrained by external forces, but by his own free will. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Jesus, because of the great love with which he loved us, willingly went to the cross. Jesus, who knew no sin, willingly became sin for us. And I do a final uh, application here. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to Jesus' innocence? Do you see the necessity of his innocence? Do you see the benefit of his innocence? Are we going to respond like Herod or like Pilate or like the chief priests or the rulers? Because we saw there are those who responded properly. We saw the response of the thief on the cross. We saw the response of the Roman centurion. Both of these responses were grace-filled responses. Salvation is by grace, through faith. And even our faith is a gift of God. Grace-filled responses by the centurion and the thief on the cross, they were witnessing these events. And they humbled themselves, and they examined themselves, and they humbled themselves before the Righteous One, and they put their faith in Him. You know what happens is our sins create a desperate need, a desperate need in us, doesn't matter if you're a believer. If you're a non-believer, our sins create a desperate need in all of us to cling to Jesus Christ, this righteous man, this perfect man, this sinless man, this blameless man. How are we going to respond? Because we respond in faith. We repent of our sins. And if you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, all our sins can be erased. Our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. The Bible says that God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. How will you respond? Will you come by faith to Jesus? Will you believe in him? Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you sent your Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That all who believe in Jesus Christ might be delivered from the power of sin and death and become heirs with him of everlasting life. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, who by suffering death upon the cross and shedding your precious blood, you accomplish our redemption and salvation. You are the spotless and the blameless Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, we praise and glorify your name, now and forever. Amen.